welcome to The Green Urbanist, a podcast for urbanists fighting climate change. I'm Ross. Welcome to part three in this mini-series on landscape and urban nature. In this episode, I spoke to James Virgo. My name's James Virgo. Um, I'm an Associate Directorate and Landscape Architect at LUC. He tells me about LUC's work on Shoreditch Park. This is a nice case study of taking an existing park and working with the local community to improve it for biodiversity while tackling antisocial behaviour and creating a more welcoming and multifunctional space for local people. Marvellous. So LUC are up for a whole range of awards in different categories today at the Landscape Institute Awards. Um, and I'd like to get into a bit more detail with you about one of them, which is uh, Shoreditch Park. So yeah, just tell us generally, what, what, what is it about? The project came off the back of the Britannia Leisure Centre development uh, and the Section 106 and SIL money that came from that, about £2 million. Uh, London Borough of Hackney wanted to spend it on Shoreditch Park and the uh, the kind of the, the brief really was that it was to be the the proposals were to be community led, and uh, this was just before COVID when it started, and uh, unfortunately got slightly derailed by COVID in, in the on, along the way. But uh, yeah, the the proposals were community led, and they were uh, came out of two sets of consultation, quite detailed cons- uh, consultation periods that we had. Um, that was uh, run with London Borough of Hackney as well with their consultation officer. And I think we, in the first consultation round, I think we got about over a thousand respondents uh, on, the, on some of the proposals in terms of what people wanted to see. So it was, it was a really positive outcome. Unfortunately, the second consultation period got uh, disrupted by COVID and so the whole thing was online, but still, I think over about 400 respondents from that. So, And the proposals very much came from that. They... Um, the council had an idea of the kind of things that they wanted to look at, uh, but um, it really was informed by, um, by the community, and, and, then, and then we drew it all up and built it. So I have actually been there, not knowing it was, it was your scheme recently, and just thought, oh my god, this is really nice. Because <laughs> it it's, it's an existing park, it's been there for a long time, I presume. So what was the, the impetus to sort of say, okay, this needs a bit of a refresh? Uh, well, I think the last master plan, which was by Levitt Bernstein, I think it was 2009, I think it was. I think it was, it was a while ago now, and that, that very much kind of transformed the park from its old layout um, into the, the kind of current structure. And our, our approach really was that we, we did want to build on that structure. We didn't really want to start kind of unnecessarily spending the budget on you know kind of moving paths around or you know kind of changing the structure if it if it worked we really wanted to maximize the money from it the park had a number of problems it's former uh, it was it was old terraced housing and was bombed during the second world war uh, the housing was cleared um, and then they sprinkled some topsoil over the top <laughs> and called it a park and and that has caused problems over the years the the soil profile is very thin um, the, the trees are kind of stunted in some areas and, and during the summer it looks really parched um, and during the winter the ground gets compacted and it, it gets waterlogged as well so it, has, it had numerous problems it was looking a bit 
tired, the playground was completely hammered and needed a, a, a bit of a, an, an upgrade. Um, and there were, there were various other issues as well, a lot of dead corners, people getting up to all sorts of nasty behaviour. And um, yeah, we had an interview with the police at one point as well because loads of local gangs were using it to kind of hide knives and things in the bushes. So yeah, all sorts of unsavoury um, activities. And, and really, I think our, our approach was, as I say, to, to maximise our, our, our budget. Um, I think we came at it from an angle of kind of health and well-being generally um, and, 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 and that kind of linked quite nicely with some of, some of the proposals and a lot of the things that came out of the consultation as well. So, so really the, the, the emphasis was on um, uh, kind of ecological, ecological enhancement, um, weaving it into to all of the proposals rather than just kind of tokenistic gestures, you know, kind of here and there. I think they had like a, a wildlife area, but I think our approach was to try and broaden it and incorporate it into everything. Um, uh, kind of sport and recreation as well, and just general kind of physical activity um, was, was a big thing. And and there was this whole thing about identity as well. It was quite unusual for, I suppose, for a park like Shoreditch Park, which I think is relatively well known and you know and does have kind of quite a strong cultural identity. But a lot of people said that it that it didn't. You know, it wasn't. It was a bit bland, and there weren't even any kind of signs that said Shoreditch Park anywhere, or um, um, and and that it didn't have this this heart. It didn't have a kind of centre to it as well. So so that really kind of informed all of, all of the proposals, and um, and I think we um, we achieved some some great things with um, with the budget that we have as well. Some kind of big impacts, and um, I think we're all really really proud of it. Actually, it was it was hard work and um, <laughs> worth, it in the end. worth it in the end. Yeah, um, yeah. It, the ecological design approach is, is, I think, a really interesting one because I think that's a, a challenge many practitioners see in the sense of taking a place that has been managed for sort of amenity grassland and being very low by biodiversity value. That's sort of something that's quite typical, I think, of, of many British parks. Um, what was your sort of approach or what were your lessons learned in terms of really enhancing that in a meaningful way? Yeah, well, one of our um, one of the things in the brief actually was to not increase the maintenance budget yes. with any proposals. Yeah. So, um, which was a challenge um, <laughs> when you know they also want lots of planting um, as well. So um, we we worked with our landscape managers a little bit on that, and directly with the local management maintenance team um, as well on on all the proposals through the design development stages, so that they were they were happy with what we were okay. proposing. Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, the, you know. The, the biggest intervention, I suppose, was that the wildflower meadow that was kind of seeded right in the middle of the site, and that was probably one of the areas that was that suffered most in terms of the, the grass quality. Um, and you know, we, I think we proposed something that was quite suitable for the, the soil strata there, um, and I think the, the impact was quite dramatic. Um, as, as well, uh, the, the other large area obviously was the sports pitch, and that is pretty well pretty well used. Um, but again, very very poor quality. So you know, we, we kind of looked at improving the soil quality there and adding adding in drainage. But you mentioned a few times, and it's interesting because this thing of having quite a limited budget and then whoever is going to be maintaining it afterwards wants obviously that to be as minimal as possible. And I think that is unfortunately a reality 
across the sector, really, isn't it? When you're dealing with such a with say a limited budget, yes, plus that need to keep it low maintenance, was there any, you know was there any learnings from from doing that? Like, how do you approach that and just make sure you can still deliver a really good scheme, you know, with that limitation? Because that's very real for for many practitioners. Yeah, I I, I mean I, I keep saying it was a low budget. It was it was two million pounds. <laughs> I mean, it's not to be sniffed at, but um, but I suppose you know it doesn't go very far when you're when you're going to you spread it out across a across a big a big park, but. I think a big part, we did a lot of work actually right at the beginning on understanding the existing park and, and kind of really reviewing, you know, the, the existing structure. I kind of knew it personally as well. I live in the area, which helped as well. But, um, you know, they, they'd spent a lot of money on things like, you know, lighting and, you know, the paths actually were all in really good condition, which is quite unusual. There were a couple of areas that, were, um, that had some old resin band that was cracked, but generally, you know, it was... It was fine, so you know why spend the money gotcha. on something like that, which actually is very expensive. You know that can eat up a huge part of your yeah. budget, hard servicing particularly. So I think we and both Hackney really wanted, as I say, wanted to get the best out of the out of the budget, make an impact yeah. um, as well. So it was about you know kind of layering in new facilities as well so things that will have the big impact so the playground was a, a kind of an easy win in yes. the sense that it was an obvious choice it was you know uh, it's one of the biggest parks in the borough it caters you know a massive area this playground wasn't working very hard it was a bit dilapidated and a bit tired and you know but really still well used and well loved so uh, we we really sought to maximise the the, the uh, kind of the, the play value within that space that, that was available, and because um, uh, there were a lot of there was a lot of areas that were that were kind of underused, but but also I suppose sports as I say was was a key thing, and you know with the Britannia development and all of the facilities that were there as well, you know. Coming up with, uh, I suppose, kind of proposals that complemented that as well. And the Mooga was, was an obvious choice as yeah. well. That was something that came out from a lot of people. They wanted, a, you know, just a, a large ball court area that was free to use, you know, that people could play basketball in. And interestingly, it's been used for roller skating a lot, which I don't think any of us anticipated. <laughs> but... Um, um, and, um, and, and we got the best out of that as well in terms of the, the kind of the surface design as well. We worked with um, a local artist whose oh, name has forgotten me, <laughs> escaped me, I'm sorry. Um, and um, yeah, we were quite keen that that, you know, was quite, you know, bright and dynamic and, you know, and actually kind of quite rem representative of the character of yeah. the area um, as well. So... Um, and, and I think that's been, been a success and has, has been well used. And, and then there were other things we had to accommodate as well. There was, there was an existing beach volleyball court. Uh, we worked with the London Beach Volleyball um, Association to get that in the right place and get the, you know, kind of the details right for that as well. So, and, and an outdoor gym as well. So, um, and then there were other simple wins as well, just such as um, pushing back some of the fences as well. There were a lot of unnecessary fences. Mm -hmm. A lot of people use it for running. So we, you know, just had to move a couple of fences and then you get this kind of perimeter running trail around, around the park, which wasn't there before mm -hmm. and makes a huge difference yeah. on how people use it. So, yeah. It's, it sounds quite obvious, but it's like, listen to what people want. 
prioritize that. Don't spend money on things that people don't care about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, exactly. I love the simplicity yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah, you have to kind of put your own agenda aside. I think sometimes you always, I think as a landscape designer, you always approach a project and think, right, what what can I do with this? You know, um, uh, and you come up with hundreds of ideas, and it, in in a sense, you have to kind of put that aside and, and listen to what other people want. And... Thank you.